Everybody happy? And you just made me happy. You got a check there too? Brought me a check. No. What a great day. Amen. I'm uh, tremendously honored to be here, be asked to to speak at this conference. And this happened actually almost a couple of years ago. And then last year I I wrecked my neck. Well, it's been wrecked for about 20 years, but it, it got severe. And I said, well, this would be a good time to plan the surgery. I can get out of preaching it. Some, I'm telling you the truth. I wouldn't get up here and start lying. I promise you. And uh, and so I I was in dire need. I was in no shape to come and preach. But um, the first of September, I had some more reconstructive surgery in my neck. I had five fusions in my neck, and one of them failed and never grew together. Anyway, you don't need to hear all that, but. The point is, is that almost two years ago, I was asked to do this, and I thought I got out of it. And um, Brother Erskine wouldn't let that happen. And so you guys have wrecked two years of my life. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'll get through this today, and, and then I'll be all right again. And uh, yesterday, Brother Erskine... Well, the general board uh, asked me to take the reins of the North American Home Missions, and and what a great honor that is! I, I don't I don't really know how to react to that, other than I I told him and I feel like I'm a little old for that, but uh, there is a fire in my bosom, and. I've been traveling the last few years. Uh, Brother Wilson, Brother Morton both cornered me and told me, I want you to quit turning down invitations to go preach. And I thought, well, that's no problem because I only get asked like once a year. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, that has grown. And... Uh, my wife knows she's here on the front bench. I love you, baby. And for her support, uh, last couple of years, I think I've been gone more than I've been at home. I know, but the king's not going to cry about that if he's here. He know, he's worse than that by far. But um, there is there is a, a tremendous need and a burden in my heart for home missions, for foreign missions, and just to get this message out. Thank you, Brother Booker. What a tremendous... I've never heard you better, and I, I've heard you give me And he even got beginning in Jerusalem in there. That's just like, you showed your Terryite roots. But um, it, it is, it's so, so important. I, I'm, I'm going to let you sit down here. Let's just let's go to the scriptures and read. Uh, thank you, Brother Erskine, again. Thank you for the executive board for the confidence and um, I, I really I'm really not a politician but I, I, I sure am into this building church stuff Brother Borders thank you for the uh, uh, introduction Brother Borders
preceded me in the Grand for three years and left a tremendous reputation and gave me a handful of people that were solid. Uh, and uh, he still has a great reputation in our town. And usually when you see somebody follow someone else, the, the relationship deteriorates. But we've become better friends as the years have went by. And Brother Borders and I are very dear friends. Now he's going to one of our missions to work for a month in January uh, to Brother DeBrums and lots of uh, hundreds, thousands of people there. He's going to be teaching uh, for a solid month. And uh, we just, that's how God, I believe, wants it. I think he wants us to get along and I think he wants us to work together. We're laborers together, man. So I'll take you to the book of Matthew, chapter uh, numbers 10. I was sitting in church last night, and I had a lot of notes, and I thought, I don't have one scripture. Uh, I didn't have a, a title scripture. I didn't have a title. And uh, so uh, this is kind of like preliminary stuff. I'm doing it. it it's like last minute. But it, it fits very well. And uh, because there's so many things I could read uh, to get to where I want to preach and talk to you today. But Matthew 10 and verse 1, it said, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first, Simon, who is called Peter. We know Andrew introduced Peter to the Lord But when the Lord set him in order, this is the way he put him. And Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Livius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We still need to go preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And... Um, I want to speak to you on that subject, and that's, it really is more of a debt that we all owe. And, 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 you know, none of us paid anything for this. You really didn't. And let's just pray. You pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and uh, we'll get going. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hand of God that's on us. Ask it to touch us today, Lord. Touch the saints of God. Touch the young men and women that are here today, Lord, that look to you and look to the work of God and want to be used in the work of God. Help me some way, Lord, to cast a vision that will help them. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. God bless you. Please be seated. As I mentioned before, after wrecking the last, or the, yeah, the last two years of my life, I feel like uh, this, what happened here yesterday is kind of jumping into the fire. And um, all of us have been in a position where we would say, well, if, 
if I was in charge or if I was the pastor of this church, here's what I think needs to be preached. Can't imagine how many people come up to me still at home and offer advice on what I should preach. Um, I tell the story about Sister Parker, the first long revival or lonely long revival I ever preached was at Brother Myers's, and I was studying. And uh, one day, about the third day, he preached me thirteen times in two weeks, and uh, only had a couple of thoughts of my own, you know. And I was listening to probably one of Brother Booker's tapes or somebody, but she came in there and she said, "Which one of Brother Booker's messages are you going to preach today?" And uh, so she kind of hit me on the head. And um, but we, we, we all, I, I don't think you can get the Holy Ghost uh, without being called to preach. And I'm not talking about pastoring. I'm not talking about being a full-time evangelist. But as Brother Booker preached last night, we are, he, and he was, he was emphasizing, preach the gospel. I would just add one word to that, Brother Booker, and that is go and preach the gospel. All right? That's what he said, go. And so you have to have, you can't be lazy and answer the call that God puts on your heart. I, I, I was raised in church. I, I, was, I was born in, in a church in Brother I.H. Terry's church in Bakersfield, California. And um, Brother Frost there was my youth leader. And I'll never forget you tying that rope to me, Brother Frost. We were, yeah, you took me young. And uh, he found out then I had a, I had, I had a fear factor. And uh, most people think I don't have one. I don't, maybe I lost it along the way somewhere, but I did then. And I'll never forget Brother Frost was the youth, uh, boys leader. And, and he could tell I was afraid we were walking up these skinny ridges. And there's no way you really could get hurt, but it was a long ways down. If I did, I would have had to tumble. But anyway, he had a rope and he tied around my waist and got a hold of it from in front of me. And, and I think there may have been one other boy there on that hike to Hart Park uh, that was a hold of the rope. But I wasn't ashamed. You know, if I get afraid, I'll grab the rope. Uh, and I appreciate uh, uh, the help that men have. And so along the way, in this walk, in this journey that we're all on, there's, uh, there's time you're going to need help. But the challenge really is for you to do something. The challenge, uh, and, and, and then as we heard last night, I, uh, Brother Terry used to say this, and I'll use him as an example quite a bit today, but when someone would go off and they'd preach and they would go kind of getting charismatic or getting weak on the message, and, and we didn't know, uh, you know, then, uh, 25 years ago, when you went to a meeting, we had, I had what I called the elephant in the room. And when you'd meet preachers and you'd meet people, the big question was out in the West was, do they believe the message? And, and that was always the elephant in the room. Nobody would talk about it like Brother Booker did last night. But it really is, you know, the, the WPF to me is not over television. All right? It's an issue. I guess it was an issue. I never hardly bring it up. But to me, uh, what it offered me and where I was from was a fellowship with men that believe the essentiality of Jesus' name. To me, that's the issue. And I can remember the first year or two that we came to WPF and people would say, yeah, but what about so-and-so? What about so-and-so? I said, if they don't believe this message, Brother Elder, we'll hunt them down and we'll run them out. 
You getting tight on me there? We just had an eclipse, you know, and, and, and there was around Baker, well, up Sumter from up the Neff's country, and then up in the, around John Day, Oregon, was the place where it was just like 100%. And where I was at, where I live, and my, we just went out on our deck and looked at it, and, and it was about 98%. You remember the eclipse? All right, the one previous was about, was it, honey, was it 17 years, did you say? 1979 was the one previous, and it was a partial, I think. And it's going to be 100 years. Now listen closely to what I'm telling you. It's going to be 100 years before there's another perfect 100% eclipse. There's going to be one in 2026 or something, but it's a partial. But think about this, Brother Erskine, that the scientists today have the equipment, all right, that they can call on the very minute in 100 years from now. When there's going to be a perfect eclipse. Now that's pretty accurate. And you know who set this all in motion? Jesus Christ set this all in motion. Alright? And when you take in the facts of like the earth. It's, it's traveling at a distance from the sun. That just keeps it at perfect temperature. Right? And someone told me if it was a half inch or an inch closer. Like an inch closer to the sun. We would all burn up. An inch in light years of distance. And so if it was an inch further away, we'd all freeze. You need to pray every morning that we don't get off track. Amen. All right, but whether you do or not, God has said it in a perfect track. Okay, when you start thinking about this, and you can, you can go back, now they have the, the equipment, you can go back thousands of years. And they even, when they were doing this, they were tracking the earth and they were doing all these things. They said, there's, there's a gap here that we can't figure out. There's several hours where we, that there's a space. And some country preacher said, I think I know where that was. Moses was fighting a battle with the children of Israel. And he prayed, they prayed Joshua, I believe, and Caleb was holding up his hands. And the Lord stopped. The sun and the sky. They can track that. They can scientifically show you where that gap is for that time that God stopped the sun. And then, when some of us guys start preaching doctrine, and we say it doesn't say in the titles, it says in the name. We have people that want to dissect that and and work their way around that and, and make some type of adjustment Okay, if God is, are you with me? He is accurate. All right? And the speed that we're traveling, the earth. And if it has a collision, it's only because he wants it to have a collision. All right? And if we have a flood, it's because he wants us to have a flood. And there's probably a few theists out there, but uh, you got to ride with me on this one. That that God is in charge of everything. He is in charge of everything. And so you want his blessing. How can you, you say, well, I feel a call to go to a city and feel, go to a town and start a church. The first thing you need is God. And if God doesn't go with you, and if you don't get up in the morning with God on your side, you're in trouble. Because there's obstacles and things you're going to face that, that it's just, it's nearly unbelievable. It's, it's difficult to, uh, 
to get people really to understand uh, the importance of how accurate the Bible is and how accurate Acts two thirty eight is. There's there's no there's no variance in it, neither shadow of turning. Amen. In Matthew seven and verse thirteen, it said, "Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat." And the reason why, or because, a conjunction, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And he steps from there to beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing with neckties and suits. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. You've, you've got some serious things to deal with. Especially, and I'll backtrack just a little bit. If you're thinking about getting involved in home missions or you're interested in even maybe raising a home missionary or you're a pastor and there's someone in your church that you kind of, God's talked to you a little bit about or anything like that. We understand that they're, uh, uh, the way I teach it at home is that when people first come to church, uh, they got to become a foot soldier. They, they just got to be a soldier, brothers. Can you know something about that? And they got to learn to take orders. All right, they got to learn sick them from come, as the, uh, Brother Booker's talking about last night. You got to you got to know when the, when the pastor tells you don't do that, or you go ask them, and if you're a little bit timid sort, and they said, "Well, I wouldn't do that if I were you." That means don't do it. <laughs> that's what it means when your pastor says, "Well, that, that's an automatic no, emphatic no." From a nice guy. I'm doing okay. I guess Sister Parker's still nodding her head. But when she starts going like that, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I may have did it. Anyway, so we're warned immediately after we're told, look, it's a straight and a narrow path. And so, uh, you know, I was raised in a church. Um, well, let me tell you a little bit about Brother Terry. He... He, he, he's known, okay, I was thinking this morning about Brother Von Morton and, and even Brother, Brother Larry Booker and, and some others that didn't actually uh, come out of our church or were raised in our church, but they adopted Brother Terry and he had tremendous uh, influence on them. Is, is that correct? Tremendous influence. Um, my aunt, uh, long before I was born, uh, Maggie Foster is my mother's older sister. Not the oldest, but she's second oldest in the family. Uh, Marguerite, they called her, but we all call her Maggie. She's Aunt Maggie to all of us. And and she moved to Monahans, Texas. And there she got a job working as a telephone operator. And this guy used to call her up. Okay? Because then, to, to talk to somebody, you had to, to make a phone call... You had to call the operator, and and they took your number, and they plugged in. You're plugged in when they answered, and then you told them what number you wanted to talk to, and they would plug it in to that number. They, the telephone operator what they did. They sit there with those cords, and they that's how they they rang other numbers. And so, brother Terry was bored and didn't he? I'll just tell you. We'll just get down to the nitty gritty. His wife had left him uh, years before with uh, two children. And he hadn't heard from them. It was over six years. And they just disappeared. And so, some of you, that may shock some of you, 
Uh, I'm just telling you this how it is. And, and so he was a lonesome bachelor, Brother Erskine. And he was working for the oil well supply company in Monahans, Texas. And he couldn't, he was so backward, he didn't know how to flirt with anybody or do anything. And so he got on the phone and he started flirting with the telephone offer. He didn't have to face her. And every day he'd call her up. And several times a day when he had time and she was working. And he would ask her out to date. Ask her to, 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 to go out. And she would just giggle like, I, I don't even know you. I don't know what you look like. Anything like that. Brother Terry had a full head of hair then. And, and so finally she agreed. And they fell in love. And they got married. And they moved into a little clappered like eightplex. And, and as God would have it, Brother Elder, the people that lived below them was a preacher by the name of A.H. Browning that had a little home missions church in Monans, Texas. And his wife, Sister Browning, she was licensed for 35 years or so. And Sister Browning would started, she got a burden for Brother and Sister Terry. Well, they were just... Ike and Maggie, and she would start praying at, in the mornings and praying at night. And my Aunt Maggie would wake up to this woman, and she'd be calling her name. And it, it drove Goliath crazy because he couldn't take it. And so it wasn't long. It was it was working on my Aunt Maggie so much that that, that Uncle Ike moved out, got a little 13-foot travel trailer. And moved into that to get away from the pressure that he was feeling from those home missionaries down there below him. Uh, Brother Terry came home one one night. And, 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 you know, if you knew him and didn't know what I'm telling you, uh, that's why I think the value of what I'm, what I'm trying to get across to you today is, is that uh, he wasn't the aggressor. He was, he was raised a Methodist and he told us hundreds of times, uh, he'd say, my daddy told me that he gave his God, when he's nine years old, he gave his heart to God, and he never went back after it. And he thought that was so powerful. But he came home one night, and there was a note on the kitchen table. And the note said, uh, I've gone to church to get the Holy Ghost. I won't be back till I get it. That was the note. P.S. You better come get it too. (laughs) He said, don't cut into the time, please. They got me on a watch up here. I don't see it. I mean, I'm like that preacher. Anyway, and so he looked at that letter and and he said, I didn't know what to think. And, And she was a little late getting in. And when she's coming in, Brother Borders, he could hear coming across the grass there toward that trailer. She's speaking in tongues. As she gets to the trailer, something he had never heard. Went to church all his life. His daddy was an insurance man, but was a, the superintendent of schools in Stanford, Texas, where he was raised. So he was all the principal's boss, you see. And he was raised in an educated family. All his brothers and sisters earned uh, doctorates or master's degrees. I don't think there was one of five of them that didn't have at least a master's degree. Now, Brother Terry wasn't quite so fortunate. He went to grade school, and one time in the fourth grade, they called him into the principal's office, Brother Erskine, 
And you have to understand, his name is Isaac Terry, Isaac Hilliard Terry. And that was his father's name. He was the namesake. And so the principal calls him in and the principal's boss is Ix Terry Sr. And so Ix Terry Jr. is in his grade school. And he's in the fourth grade. And he calls him in there and he says, uh, say Ike, how would you like to be in the fifth grade today? And this is Brother Terry's words. He said, oh, that'd be swell. And he said, well, wait in that room there a little bit. We're going to talk a little more. And they talked a little more. And they brought him back in and said, how'd you like to be in the sixth grade? This is a true story. And, 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 and he said, oh, that'd be great. And he said, so I caught up with my sister who was two years younger than me. Been held back four times by the fourth grade. And his daddy was a superintendent of schools. You think teachers tried hard to teach I.H. Terry? They did. All right, but here he is. And, and, and he's sitting in that little trailer and he's looking at that note and he couldn't he, he, could, he was anticipating Maggie coming home and he said she was speaking in this language I'd never heard and he said not too many days before she was walking across the yard and she tripped over a faucet and she tore her stocking and said she turned around and called that faucet names brother Erskine he said I never heard anybody talk like that and I said to her I said Maggie don't talk like that. She was cursing. Some of you don't understand what I mean. And don't talk like that. Said, how could I ever take you home to meet my parents, my mother? How could, you know? She goes, oh, I don't know. I have no idea where those words came from. Don't be so biased. Anyway, so it's a different woman that he hears coming up to the trailer now. And she's speaking in an unknown language. And she comes in that trailer speaking in tongues, knocking things over and bumping things around with nail. And, 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 and he says, Oh my goodness, my life has changed. That is not the woman I married. He already had a tremendous failure behind him. He had children. He didn't know where they lived. He had, he had an idea, no idea. And, and, and so she starts taking him to church. My brother C.B. Webb, uh, came he he went for two and a half years with her, and, and I don't think he ever missed. He would smoke a cigar. He liked to smoke a cigar and chew tobacco, and so he he had a little tough time on the repentance part, and and so he would come to church, and he would just he'd get convicted going to church. He'd spit the tobacco out on the old gravel uh, road or parking lot there, but he'd go over to the picket fence and he'd put his cigar. He place it like there. Right? On the pick of fifth, just in case he didn't get the Holy Ghost, you see. <laughs> and he went, he went in and he wore the saints out. Uh, there's about 20 people, but there's 15 or 20 people in our church. And he said, that preacher get up there and he'd get to preaching and he'd make a point about a sinner and everybody in the church would turn and look at him and go, <laughs> he is talking to you. And then he never missed. He said, I went to the altar every time. And I prayed. he said, I prayed till the last one quit praying with me. And then I left and I went out there and I found my tobacco in the gravel. I picked the stuff off of it. <laughs> went over and got my cigar and went home. And for two and a half years, this, this went on. And he received the Holy Ghost in a revival with Brother C.B. Webb. And... And things began to change. They asked permission, uh, 
some of this is a little vague to me, but uh, they, they left Monahan's. It was during the Depression, and my mother and my Aunt Libby and my Aunt Patsy, which is Sister Myers. Some of you know about Sister Wendell Myers from Washington. But they had moved to Bakersfield, California, and they had a boarding house there. And, and, and so what they did is they played music. Uh, my, Aunt Pat, uh, my Aunt Libby and my mother played for the Bakersfield Dodgers during the war. Uh, the men were all gone to war. And so they had the farm team and little semi-pro team there, Sam Lynn Ballpark. And I got a picture of my mom and Aunt Libby uh, in their ball, ball playing suits. And anyway, they were, they were feisty girls. But Terry will tell you this about my mom. Said the first time he met her, um, they came over to 1018 Gage Street there in East Bakersfield. My dad had a little place there. And, and my aunt Maggie told Brother Terry, said, I want you to meet my little sister Molly. And uh, I think she's going to, I think she's really going to be the first one. She's the one that's most apt to live for God. And so my mom runs out of the house in a pair of shorts and a little halter top. This is 1940 or, you know, 42. And, and runs up to Brother Terry and just jumps in his, he had to catch her, you know. And so he said, I'm sitting there holding this, this woman and looking at my wife like, this woman's never going to live for God. Brother Terry landed there, and I'll, I'll just digress. I'll, I'll switch back and forth. Like, but he he, he came there, uh, I think, about 1940, and 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 so the Davises were all they all went to Paul Winters or out in that area is a church in Wee Patch, and all the Davises and Brother Terry and several other men, uh, Snooks Barber and Connie Lynch, and uh, there's several oneness preachers, evangelists, and men. But the Davises, I think, there's five of them all. I think built churches in Southern California. But um, this was a little nest of, of, of men. Somebody there, Brother Erskine, cast a vision. There was somebody there that, that, that I, I can't even tell you who the one was. But let me digress again and tell you that this is what Brother Browning said later about Brother Terry. He said, I didn't even know I.H. Terry was a preacher when he left here. All right? And so his, uh, he, you know, he let him go. He, he let, Maggie was the one, she was really the preacher at that point. And, and she was the go in the gospel with them. And it was her family that they moved 1,500 miles from West Texas to Bakersfield, California to try to win to God. And, and that was, that was the point. And, and they were all out in Weed Patch. And, uh, you know, I, I, I never got really details from Brother Terry about the change from Weed Patch and what all happened for him to just go in and start a church on uh, East 18th Street there, downtown Bakersfield, rough part of town, in a storefront. But there's a few things I remember, and one of them is this that he told me often, is that uh, this guy, I think it was Snooks Barber and, and, and Connie Lynch, they're long past, and, and they were evangelists, and they would come to his church. He had about 15, 20 people coming. The Oswalds uh, started with him, and the Coxes, uh, Fred Cox and his family. There's, I think there was nine people he had in service when he started. So there were some people in Bakersfield, and he went there and started to work. And, and he said he, he got in there on a Sunday night one night, and, and he, one of those evangelists got up to lead the service and said, he had that thing ripping and people shouting and going and Brother Terry got so frustrated because he wasn't an outward going man. He wasn't a, a, a forward worship leader. I don't think I ever saw him lead a song. He sang for us a little bit. He made up two or three songs that were pretty good. 
and but he couldn't keep a tune. He couldn't hold notes. And, and anyway, so he he said, I got so frustrated, I just walked out of the church and uh, the little storefront, and he started walking down the sidewalk in front of it, and he started praying, started talking to God, and he told God, he said, God, you better give me something. These men are going to steal my church. Like he really had one, you know, nine people or 15 people. But he's saying, these men are going to take my church away from me. And he, he's marching. And he, he said, and listen closely. He said, God, you got to give me something. And he said, God did. And I want to tell home missionaries and, and even people that think they would like to go build a church. All right. If you have the desire, all right. God will give you what it takes. First Timothy chapter one, I think it's verse 12 said, Paul said, he hath enabled me having called me into the ministry. Okay. So you know, you're called and you feel the calling, right? There's never a day that you're not able to do what God has called you to do. Right. He said, he, uh, he said, I, I, I put it up there guys. First, first Timothy uh, chapter one, verse 12. I think that's it. This is the seventh inning stretch in the second inning. It might take them a little time. I can find it faster than that. Everybody happy? This is, this is worth taking a minute to read to you. You got it? There we go. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. This is the part I was missing. For that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. All right? If God puts you in the ministry, he's not putting anybody in the ministry for trial. He's not putting anybody in the ministry to see how they might do. He doesn't call you to a city to see if you can survive. Okay? But he hath, Paul said he hath enabled me. He's no respecter of persons, Amen. And so when God calls you and you know you've got a calling to a city, no matter what that may be, it could be relatives. They're really the major reason I ended up in the Grand Oregon uh, and taken there from Brother Borders is my dad lived 100 miles away. But let me tell you this, the effort that I made to get there, I'd been to Buffalo, Wyoming, and, and, and Brother Monks, uh, your daddy had built, built a church there and they'd say, go there. Uh, we got a building, we'll give you a building, and I get there, and I'm one week late. There's already a preacher there. And we go to Enumclaw, Washington. We make offers on churches. I go to uh, around my brother, my uncle, and my cousins that were in Washington. I went to Tacoma. I tried to go there. Four or five towns, cities, since Parker and I went and visited, and we even preached at some of them. We baptized people in Wyoming, uh, trying to find the will of God. We're just, I mean, Brother Terry had a whip on me, telling me to get out there and get with it. And, and, and so I was, uh, you have to push on some doors. All right. You, if you feel this call, don't ever get up and say, I'm not able. All right. What you have to do is get a hold of God. It's time to pray then. I'll give you a little hint, but Carl's, I think he's here today from Debrum from Marshall Island. He spent 16 years with me in Legrand before he went to Marshall Islands. It wasn't an overnight thing. 16 years. He had this doctrine driven into him. Okay? 
And so when he went there and he was preaching our church here this past week and he said this and it, and it caught my attention. He said, I figured out that if I pray, people will listen to me. And that might help you if you'll pray. You, you've got to study and you've got to be ready and, and you've got to go feed the saints, whatever you have, two, five or a hundred. You have to prepare yourself. All right. But, but if you want them to listen and to respond, then you've got to spend some time in prayer. Amen. And so brother Terry, he, he walks back in. I hope you can stay with me on this hopping around here, but he walks back in on that little storefront. And those guys are shouting, they're up there running aisles. And one of them had, had run off from his family and gotten a car wreck and lost some fingers in an accident. And no one knew but Brother Terry uh, is on a fling or something. And anyway, uh, Brother Terry gets up and, and the guy's in the pulpit. He tells him, hey, you go sit down. And he kind of looked at Brother Terry and Brother Terry said, I said, go sit down. And he went and sat down. And uh, the other guy stood up like he was going to say something. He said, and you keep your mouth shut or I'll tell all these people how you lost those fingers. <laughs> and Sister Terry was watching this and here's what she always told. She said, my mouth fell open. <laughs> because she told him, if you don't go preach, I'm gunning. <laughs> and, and, and so really, I guess Sister Terry called Brother Terry to preach. And there they were. And there my mom came in after a few years. She was the first to pray through. Uh, it was a boating accident. My mother was nearly killed. And so she had to lay on her stomach uh, in, a, in a hospital bed at Kern General Hospital for six weeks. And guess who sat beside her chair? Her bed every day, Brother Erskine. Maggie Terry. Brother Terry told us, and if you knew him well, you'd know. He'd say, I watched my wife. At the church, on the front bench, sit there in the day for hours, pounding her fist, saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And she's praying for her family and praying for her family. And several years, there's convoluted different testimonies, but my mother was the first to pray through. And, and, and my dad was actually on the trustee board with Sam White and Julius Lowe. And I have a paper at home that Bob Dansby gave me. Uh, that verifies this. His father, Leonard, uh, was a secretary or something at the time. And, and this is way back. This is 1948. But 1949, my dad had went to Texas and bought a bunch of mares, uh, quarter horse mares, and, uh, and he had had them bred to the studs there on the King Ranch. And, and the church was struggling. It, you know, it wasn't, my dad was the only one that really made money or made very much money in the church. And he had a business and, and worked different people. And, and anyway, uh, Brother Terry got a little bit over anxious and, and he got up to preach one night about tithing. My dad would give offerings, but he wouldn't tithe. And so he says, uh, some of you men will spend $50 on a horse blanket. My dad had stopped at Gallup, New Mexico on the way back and bought like four or five Navajo blankets. This is 1948. And, and, and he said, you'll, you'll, you'll pay $50 for a horse blanket, but you won't pay your tithes. And but Johnny King's mother was there for the first night. She visited for the first night this night. And my dad gets up from his seat and he walks up to the pulpit and he just slugs Brother Terry right in the face. <laughs> Home missions, baby. <laughs> and 
and he reached down and picked up a guitar and he's going to put it over his head. I think the book says he does put it over his head, but my dad said, no, I didn't. He started praying and I just said it because he looked at it and it was a Gibson that he had bought by the Harold Blankenship and he didn't want to cram it over Brother Terry's head because it cost $40, 19 well, Anyway, put up that first picture, would you guys? I brought a picture I want you to see. Man, it's a deal. There's a few, I say, that didn't make the cut. Duke and my brother. and <laughs> Anyway, some of you that know. Uh, the man standing, you can pick out Brother Frost pretty easy. The man standing right in front of Brother Frost is Brother Dutch Clayton. He was Brother Terry's first assistant pastor. And that's quite a group of guys. Look at Brother King here with hair on his head. Look at this handsome man right here. His mother left after my dad punched Brother Terry. His mother left and didn't come back to church for like four years before she ever came back. And thought, that's the craziest bunch of people. But my mom and them got her to come back. And, and Johnny and I were both born after that. The tall guy in the back, that's Ray Brown. Brother Stolfus, look there between or beside Ray Brown, that's Dallas Mefford. The handsome guy there, second to the right. <laughs> no. That's me with black hair. Uh, you look to these men as Kimbo. There's Wendell Myers, Grady Powell in there, David Webb. Look at Brother Terry. Look how different he looks there. Doesn't he just doesn't fit in, does he? Look how we're all posing for a picture. Brother. But this picture, Randy Kendrick on the front there, and Keith McCoy, Sam White. Brother Terry took him to Southern California with him to preach church governments at a church. And when he preached about church government, the people all right then stood up and said, We want to vote you in as pastor. And Brother Terry said, I already got a church. I can't pastor your church. But I brought one with me. How many men today, you think, if they got invited to go preach somewhere in church in trouble, Brother Erskine would take their best man with them? Say, come on with me. With the thoughts and the thinking that if it opens up and we think it's right, I'm going to leave him there. Very few. Thank you, brother. I had a young man with me not too many years ago. And, and we were talking about just him helping me on a consistent basis. And, and, and here's, he don't even know, maybe he'll find out today what happened. But here's what happened. And we were talking, playing golf or doing something one day. And he said to me, he said, Brother Parker, he said, just let me ask if you to do one thing. I said, what's that? He said, don't send any more men out. Because you see, this guy who had no education, his daddy, all right, was on his deathbed. And all his brothers and sisters standing around the bed. And Ike walks up there, and there were doctors, there were masters in education. And my uncle Ike walks up there, 
And it was long before probably half of these men had come in. Those men are all men. There's one or two there that didn't actually start with Brother Terry, but there's there's more that aren't in the picture that didn't make the picture that that aren't there. There's 36 other men besides Brother Terry there. I think I counted it. And and many of them are in this room. And and, and many of them have, have built great churches. Some of them that aren't there. Brother Mefford, Brother Brown, different ones. Brother Frost went to Avondale. Man, 10 years before I prayed back through, I think, Brother, Brother Frost. And, or five years. And, and, and built a church there and turned it over to Brother Brown. And a lot of these men took works, but... There's, there's some successful preachers there. And, and this guy who had no education, and, and I'm with Brother Wilson on the education. I, my kids are going to take his school classes. Lots of people in my church do. I'm with them on that. I understand that. But I'm just telling you, here's a guy that made, when he went to high school, I didn't tell you this part, but when he went to high school, he went for five years to high school. His daddy, again, was the boss of all the schools. And he earned one credit. He passed one class in five years. But the old superintendent of schools laying on his deathbed with all his kids around his bed looks at all of them and says, Ike, and he comes over next to him and he said, you've done more than all of them. And his dad never converted. Okay, his dad never converted. And, 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 and me and Brother Terry, we got into it over that. But the point that I'm trying to make to you is that you, you, if you feel, you feel a call, and you'll answer. It, it, the call may be even your wife. Right about this place in this message, some of you women need to elbow your husband in a real secret kind of way. Real, do it. <laughs> do it where everybody can't see. But if you're wanting to go and he's dragging his feet, give him a little nudge and say, honey, you could do it. Because here's the deal. When you have, when you're riding with the right co-pilot, is that incredible or not? It's incredible. You, I don't know who, you know, I, I know one. Uh, I'll just skip a little bit ahead here and, and kind of tell you about how I went to Oregon. But Brother Terry, uh, there's two things you really need if you're going to start a church. Or if you're going to, there's lots of things you need, but there's two main ingredients. And one of them is you need to know how to make a living. All right, you need to know how to make a living, and, and I know there may be some here I may cross swords with, but hey, I got the microphone today. But you need to because the devil will starve you out if he can. Okay, he'll starve you out, and and and, and you may even go through a situation in a larger church where the devil tries to starve you out. Lots of men have. We heard. We've heard. We'll hear more about it. But the point is, is that. If you know how to make a living, you have a work ethic, and you learn how to work, and you've got a job, and what's even better is a trade. When I went to Legrand, I only had, I only needed two things, okay? Number one, that town had to have trees, because I was a tree trimmer, all right? And so when I looked, and, and you know what its nickname was? City of Trees. All right? I knew I was hooked up there. Then I looked around at the kind of work that men had done there and it was not really professional. It was loggers and people trying to make a living trimming trees that didn't know what they were doing. And so I thought, that's a cinch. So I'll be able to make my living, no problem, while I'm building a church. All right? And then you have to have a call. 
Right? If you've got a call and, and you've, got, you've got a touch of God in your life, and, and you have to make that sure, but, I mean, you wouldn't be here this morning. You wouldn't have got out of bed if you didn't feel something, right? And so, what I've seen, you know, Brother Terry, here's what he would do uh, later in life after he retired. Uh, Brother Frost took the church and, and, and Brother Terry gave me the boot. Uh, the way the way he did, really, he just told me, he said, Jess said, Brother Frost is coming back. I'm retiring. And and uh, Sister Parker and I had won several people to God. We had a little church inside of a church there. And he said, I don't want anybody getting the wrong idea, so you get out of here before he gets back. And, uh, he's, and I didn't have a license or anything. And then we were in, in the organization. And, and he said, you go to district board and, and apply for a license. He told me. You know, if you got to go ask your pastor if you're ready for license, you're not ready. All right? He needs to tell you if, if he thinks that's, <laughs> it's time. Anyway, um, I went and, and, and I met the board and they said, what are you going to do? I said, what, what are you here for? And I said, for a license. And they looked at my application and saw on there the many Bible studies we had taught and how many people we saw get the Holy Ghost. And, and they knew Brother Terry. I, I was all primed. Uh, to answer one God questions and one God scriptures. And, and man, I had memorized so many scriptures. And, and Brother David Gray and Brother Herbert Buxton interviewed me and Sister Parker. And they wouldn't say anything about the Bible. And, and finally I asked them, aren't you guys going to ask me some one God scriptures? And they said, no. The last guy from my age, Terry's church, we did that with. Quoted scriptures we didn't know was in the Bible. <laughs> And so they, they just talked to me about personal things and, and they said, we want you to stay for six months. And so I told the board, I remember leaving there and they said, what do you think? I said, well, I'll go home and talk to Brother Terry and I'll do what he says. You better have a relationship with your pastor. You can't leave a bad situation and go walk into him and want something that's great. All right, and if there's something that needs to be fixed, you need to go fix it. All right, and, and you say, "Well, it's impossible." No, it's not impossible. You go fix it because you you got to feel like you're going forward and like you've got God's will, God's hand on you, and that you don't have any of the past things behind you that you got to struggle with. So, Brother Terry, he had all these guys, pastor and churches, and there's more. C. A. Prickett's not on there. I was thinking of some others. I already mentioned Brother uh, Harold Blankenship. Uh, my brother, Duke, you know, some of them, he didn't go preach for some of those, but he did for some. He tried wherever he could, but he would pick up his phone and he would call me up. Now I'm pastoring eight or 10 years and here's what he would say. He'd say, you got a thousand dollars? And I'd say, yeah, I do. He said, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> I'd say, how, how many times do you want to preach? He goes, I don't know, maybe just once. And I had his check ready. Did he need the money? No. You know what he was doing? He was checking on me, brother. He made sure I had it. I bought his car one time. I was down there and, and preaching Brother Frost or something. And Brother Terry had this old Mercedes. And it has a history of its own. But he said, why don't you buy my car? I said, how much? He told me. I said, okay. I wrote him a check. And I got in it the next day and driving home. thousand miles. 
And, and so it was like on a, on a, I got home like on a Saturday or Sunday. I don't remember what it was, but it could have even been a, a Monday or two. I don't remember what day of the week it was. But I got home late, too late to go to the bank and make my check good. So I got up the next morning and I go into the bank and the manager is there with a big old grin on his face. And I said, uh, I got, he goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, man, I really like your uncle. I said, really? He said, yeah, he was just in here. He drove a thousand miles to check and see if my check was good. (laughs) 1,043 miles, in fact. And he's 75 years old. All right? And he was probably thinking, Ed Jess, act smart, write me that check. We'll just see if it's any good. Guess what? The banker said it was good. That's awesome. He said, well, I really like your uncle. And he cares a lot about you. What are you saying, Brother Parker? I'm saying there's just a, a couple of things, really, that are absolutely necessary if you're going to build a church. Give me the other picture, guys. And I'm closing. This is Libby McAllister. Uh, she is my mother's younger sister. She's between Molly and Sister Myers, Sister Patsy Myers. And most of you wouldn't know her unless you preached at Bakersfield. But if you preached at Bakersfield, you would know her. Um, I don't think I ever saw her on the platform. Um, I don't think I ever... She may have spoke at a ladies' prayer meeting or something. I don't know, Brother Frost. You'd know that far better than me. But she is a precious lady. And here's why I have her picture up here. Brother Terry taught me a lot about how to pastor, how to treat men, how to act with men, and, and how to build confidence in men. Okay? This is what Brother Terry had. This is what he got out on that sidewalk. I can't tell you if it all came at once, or if he knew he had confidence, and he went from there. But when you think that many men, well, Brother Bradford's speaking, I think, tomorrow. He's in that picture. But that many men, all right, got I'm going to tell you what. There's only a few that didn't stay with the Acts 2.38 message. Less than a handful. And, and, and some of them had left when they were 14, 15 years old. So you really can't count that. They, they weren't there as a mature man. But this lady is the one, I remember when we first got in church, that, that my wife went into the nursery and she came out of the nursery and it was all messed up. And the diapers were, there were dirty diapers in there. It was smelly and we had little children. And she walked straight to my Aunt Libby. This is what we call her, Aunt Libby. And she walked straight to Aunt Libby and she says to Aunt Libby, she says, uh, that nursery is a mess. We're in church like two months. And my Aunt Libby took her by the arm, Brother Erskine. She was the one that came and taught Bible studies at her house. She's the one that came, picked me up, and took me to church the day I offered to whip Brother Terry. And took me home that day. And she takes my wife by the hand or the arm a couple months later and says, that's a good job for you, honey. That's how she broke us in. And she taught us how to pray. And she taught us how to go prayer meetings. She taught us how to come. We had a church that didn't really pray before service. There was about 20 of us. But she was one of them. And she made sure we were two others. And she taught us, be to church early and pray. And, and, and his aunt B and 
Ehrman and half a dozen others. But she was there every time. And she taught us consistency in, in a prayer life. And every time it went wrong, she was the one that petted my feathers back down. Right, so you ladies and men that could say, uh, the reason why people sometimes don't stick it out is because they don't have anybody to foster them. You got to learn, you, if you have a call, all right, and you have a way to make a living, who's going to run you off? Then all you have to do is learn how to keep people. And she taught me how to minister to people. Let's stand and love the Lord today. She raised your hands and talk to the Lord for a little bit here. She really planted the seeds of evangelism and nurturing in me and Robin Parker. And, you know, we had a big church. Bakersfield was a big church and and they were what we call cliques in it. And, and the church gets older. It gets little sections of people and all, all that stuff. But she lived above that. And she never allowed us to even get involved in any of those little... She, she would just, in her nice little calm way, she'd say, Well, no, honey, we, we just don't do it like that. The first time I picked up a tithe envelope... And I looked at her and I said, what do I need to do here, Aunt Libby? And she says, well, I can tell you what me and Danny, my cousin, has done. I said, ever since way back when, we, we just give 10% of our earnings and 5% to an offering. And then anything you give on top of that is just bonus. And she taught me like from the first weeks, Brother Frost, it just... I can't ever remember Brother Borders filling out or Brother Mail filling out one of those slips and resenting. Not one time. I'm standing here before you and God and telling you, not one time did I ever say, I need to pay some bills or I need to do this. It was like an honor to me to put that money in that envelope and come up and put it in. And she's the one that taught me that. All right? You need people. You need to value someone. Uh, her husband, my uncle Mark, brother and sister Myers prayed her through to the Holy Ghost in 1952. I believe it was right after the earthquake in Bakersfield. Brother or Mark McAllister came to the church. You know? Did you know Wendell Myers? He's a big stout man. He's in that. Put that other picture back up, guys. Brother Myers. Well, you see the black man right there in the corner. He's the man standing just this side of the black man. Excuse the reference, but that's easy. Right next to Brother Frost. Behind Brother Frost to the left. That's Wendell Myers. He built a church in, in, in Fraser Park, California. He built a church in Chachilla, California. And he went to Washington when he was 56 years old, I believe. And built a great church that Ken Bow pastors today. There. Three churches he himself built. But when Mark McAllister, Libby's husband, came to the church because... My Uncle Wendell and my Aunt Patsy, the Myerses had, and my mother had prayed her through the Holy Ghost. He came to the church and found Brother Myers there. And he said, you baptized my wife? And Brother Myers said, yeah. And he slugged him in the nose and broke his nose. Brother Myers never raised his hands, never resisted. And he slugged him again and broke his jaw. Both of them had been through the entire war, World War II. 
Brother Myers in the South Pacific and Mark McAllister in the Battle of the Bulls. They were they had seen the worst of the worst. So you're going to face adversity and you're going to face tough times. And and Mark, that was my Aunt Libby's husband. And he walked out on her and she never went on a date. And, and she never talked to another man romantically the rest of her life. And she was a young woman in her 30s. My mother said, my dad left my mother when she was 43 years old. She never went on another date. She never entertained the idea of being married again. She had five kids and she raised them in church and she loved them and taught us how to go to church and be in church and the value of Acts 2.38. And I'm telling you, I'm here today, all right, because of these kind of people. What I'm trying to do is give you a vision that you don't have to come up through the ranks of these great ministers. That's all fine and dandy if you do. But I want you to see the picture of I.H. Terry and understand how do you, how do you, how do you go find somebody that's going to bring and, and, and lead this many men into the ministry? And how many people do you know in your life? Only one other person that I knew uh, that rivaled that number, there's, there's 36, there's, they say is what they told me when I prayed through and started answering the call to preach. They said, Jesse, you're the 40th, 40th man that has gone into the ministry under Brother Terry. 40 preachers. In a youth convention in Bakersfield, California, Brother Terry had that pressure on me I started telling you a while ago about and, and want me to not be in the way, not make people think that I was... Anyway, I stayed eight months with Brother Frost. I missed one service, and he came hunting me down over to school. Great. I mean, the, the, what Brother Frost added and, and helped me with, it's tremendous. But in this youth convention, I mean, it's kind of a youth, uh, unique youth convention because James Kilgore was preaching it, and he had to be in his middle or late 60s. And it's like 1983, 84, right before I met Brother Borders. And every night, he got up and he told stories about his daddy traveling across the country. And he had that voice that nearly made you want to pray. And this one night he gets up and he tells a story. He said, when I was 12 years old, he said, my dad was on a evangelistic tour. We had a tent, and we were in Twin Falls, Idaho, which is my country, close to my country. And said we broke down. We were with a woman, I forget her name, Bessie something, but she held revivals in, tent revivals, and Brother Kilgore had hooked up with her because she had had great, had like 400 people pray through and baptized 400 people in Twin Falls the year before. And they'd come back, and he brought Brother C.P. Kilgore. And James Kilgore was a 12-year-old boy, Brother Borders. And he said they broke down. They broke down in Twin Falls. And they went to the nearest garage, and there was a man there, and he was a sinner. And his nephew is a very good friend of mine, one of my neighbors. And he said, my uncle Hoyt was a bad sinner. And said... Hoyt Satterwhite let him 
They didn't have money for a room, didn't have money for a motel, didn't have anything to sleep in. And so while he worked on their car and they waited for parts or money to fix the car, he let them sleep in the garage. And on that garage floor, a 12-year-old pre-puberty boy, young man, laying on a cement floor in 40-degree weather, He said, laying there on that cement floor is where I got called to preach. And this spring, I was honored they took me on a history tour. And one of them said, right there, right there is the shop where C.P. Kilgore and James Kilgore stayed while their car was being fixed. And it was a center man let them stay there. And I go, what was his name? And they said, Hoyt Satterwhite, Dan Satterwhite's uncle. Later, of course, Hoyt got in church. But to stand there and remember, Brother Kilgore told that story. I was so nervous walking out of that building, man. First person I ran into was Brother Terry. I looked up at him. I didn't know what to say. And I said, here's what I said to Brother Terry. I said, well, he really preached to you tonight, didn't he? Brother Terry said, no, but he did you. I was so broken inside, and God was talking to me so seriously, Brother Erskine. I want to take just about five minutes here. If there's anybody in this building, all right, that you've been touched this morning, and you'd be honest enough and brave enough to step out and say, I want to build a church or I want to be part of building a church. I want you to come forward. I'm not looking for numbers this morning as much. Come on in, guys. As I am honesty. I could have told you a lot of stories about drug smuggling. I was a bad drug addict. My wife was a bad drug addict. But I can tell you what we did. We got into a Pentecostal service. All right? And Ike Terry started preaching the doctrine into us. And we would go home and here's what we would say to each other. We'd get in our car. I remember leaving the parking lot many times and saying this, saying, don't even make you want to live for God. My pastor made me want to live for God. He made me want to serve God. Sitting under Brother Frost, the same thing. We went to church. Bakersfield was just a pitcher. It was a preacher factory. But it started with a man that seemed like had no hope. You don't have to have, you don't, you don't have to have anything when you come to God. The Apostle Paul said, I was the chiefest of sinners. There was nobody as bad as me. Amen. Listen, as they sing, some of you ministers come and lay hands on these young men. If you're a young lady and you want to come forward, do that. We're going to have some more preaching here just in a minute. But let's take a moment to pray for these that have stepped out and asked. Let it be known. Journey of life. 
their winding roads. Brother Elder saying, come on, let's lift our voices Mountains high and valleys low. Though the road may be unknown, I'm still focused on the price worth pressing for. I will be what you call me to be. I'll stay there. I agree. Lord, I Just to be loved. 